We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. A boy is born in Rockford, Illinois in 1938 to upper-middle-class parents in the quintessential Midwestern American town. He gets sent to Phillips Exeter and then comes west following his football-playing brother to Stanford. Somehow this man comes to connect the counterculture, psychedelia, ecology, emerging computing technologies, new media, architecture, and a whole lot more into something like an ethos that is almost impossibly Bay Area. The character is Stuart Brand, of course, Sausalito's finest, and today we talk with John Markoff, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, about his new book, Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. That's coming up next on Forum. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Coming up as a science and technology writer here in San Francisco, I found myself stumbling across Stuart Brand's trails through our culture over and over. One time over in renewable energy, another in internet technology, establishing the whole earth electronic link or well. Other times I see him in magazine publishing, futurism, or in a shared fascination with the forgotten places where urban life flourishes. I will not lie, I don't agree with everything Stuart Brand has said, and don't think Stuart Brand agrees with everything Stuart Brand has said, but I have a remarkable appreciation for how he has kept his mind alive to new possibilities and ideas. When I've talked with him in recent years, now in his 80s, he's still working over the world, still adding new inputs, still hungry, maybe not so foolish. John Markoff's new book features the deepest, most remarkable access to Brand's life that anyone's ever been granted. He's also written books on the unlikely convergence of the counterculture and cyberculture and the development of that strip of land south of San Francisco we now call Silicon Valley. In other words, if there's anyone who can tell us what Stuart Brand's life has been, and maybe even what his ideas have meant to the world, it is John Markoff. Thanks for coming on, John. Thanks for having me. So I think we need to start at that point in time and that place where Stuart Brand kind of goes from a guy who's an interesting drifter through history into kind of more of a causal force. So that's 1968, northern edge of what we now call Silicon Valley, at the Portola Institute, 558 Santa Cruz. What's going on there? Well, in 1968, Stuart was in the process of leaving a project that failed. He tried to organize an an educational technology fair in the San Mateo County Fairgrounds. And then he decided that he would create this truck store. Um, The idea was to... uh, take a a traveling uh, truck out to the communes where his friends were and sell them information and tools. Um, In the middle of 68, he took took two trips to the back country and he immediately realized that idea wasn't gonna work. His friends on the communes didn't have any money. Um, Mm -hmm. So in what would become true Silicon Valley fashion, he pivoted to to a catalog and the catalog uh, in a year or so caught on. 
became a national sensation. So what's going on around that part of our region around that time? I mean, it seems like a pretty remarkable confluence of a lot of different now now common Bay Area influences, but back then we're kind of in still an embryonic form. Absolutely. You know, uh, Silicon Valley was named by Don Hoffler in 1971. But in the second half of the 60s, all of the forces that would become the modern Silicon Valley were in play. And they were set uh, sort of contemporaneously and geographically uh, in the same place as this vibrant counterculture and a, uh, an intense anti-war movement. It was a really chaotic, unusual time. Um, there were these two laboratories equidistant from uh, Stanford University. One started by John McCarthy, uh, focusing on artificial intelligence, and the other started by Doug Engelbart, focusing on what he called intelligence augmentation. And Stuart was right in the midst of all of that. Yeah. You know, there was also the intellectual life. I mean, I think the technological life you and I have both focused on um, through through time. But, you know, in the book, you describe that Ramperts, you know, big um, magazine was around the, the corner. There's also, you know, the big bookstore down there, Kepler's. And it's kind of all of those influences that are coming together, coursing through the American West. And this new magazine is born, The Whole Earth Catalog. Yeah, it was, uh, it, people weren't even sure what it was. Stewart initially had trouble convincing bookstores to take it because they didn't know where to put it. Um, but he'd been inspired by L.L. Bean. Um, you know, he appreciated that. And uh, it it was this, it was the right thing at the right time. I don't think he understood how right it was. Uh, the first printing was a thousand uh, copies. Uh, he, he actually started out by saying we are as gods and we might as well get used to it. And then he printed another thousand of the fall 68 and he changed that uh, slightly to we are as gods, we might as well get good at it. <laughs> Can you describe who Stuart Brand was to someone who's, who's never heard of him never heard of the Whole Earth Catalog, uh, what would you say to them? Well, so Stuart thought of himself as having upper-class roots, and in, in some senses that was clearly the case. Um, he came from a tightly knit group of Michigan families um, who had been, uh, who were wealthy, although his parents were uh, well-educated and they were independent. They moved, as you said, to Rockford. Um, because I think they wanted to have some breathing room from the from the families, but they summered at Higgins Lake, which was this pristine lake where there was a family encampment in the center of Michigan. So, in a sense, he had a Hemingway-esque uh, childhood. You know, Hemingway also grew up outside Chicago and summered at Walloon Lake. It allowed Stewart to have what he described as a free-range childhood. Um, he lived for the summers. Um, and at the age of eight, uh, I think this was in 46 or 47, uh, he took what was called the Conservation Pledge that was uh, published in Outside Life magazine. And it's actually why I don't think of him any longer as a zealot. I mean, you talked about how he showed up everywhere. Um, but there was this through line. Um, the Conservation Pledge was this commitment by American, American citizen to protect the, the nation's resources. And that has held true of Stuart all the way through. But, you know, he followed his brother to Stanford. Uh, it, it, that was very serendipitous. Uh, and then he went into the army. He had been in ROTC at Stanford. He he spent a couple of years in the army, became a lieutenant, did not go to Nam, did not go to Vietnam, uh, came back. He, he had developed this real uh, um, love affair with North Beach and the beat culture when he was a senior at Stanford, and he wanted to come back to that. At that point, he was trying to become a photographer. Um, 
he got one of the most amazing things I found in my research was this complete love letter from Ansel Adams raving about Stuart's huh. early photography. I think I might have become a photographer if I'd gotten that. Kind yeah. Of well, but John, zoom out, though. And uh, apart from sort of the particulars of a brand life, like what would you say to somebody who's like, well, well like, why should I care about this guy? Uh, I, well, actually, the, the, there's a simple answer to, to that in my mind now. So Stuart in 66, after he had been sort of the principal organizer of what was called the Trips Festival, the largest of the acid tests, was up on his roof in North Beach. And, you know, famously, he took a half a tab of acid to spend the afternoon up there and began wondering why there wasn't a photograph of the whole earth. And he came down and started this quixotic campaign. And ultimately, he, you know, became inextricably uh, woven with the symbol of the whole earth, which became a symbol for the environmental movement. And even more than that, um, the symbol of the, of the whole earth sort of supplanted the symbol of the mushroom cloud, which had been the, you know, the overarching sort of symbol of America in the 50s. And it's still to this day, I think, a unique symbol. It's the one symbol I can think of that draws humanity together and doesn't divide us. And in this time where we're more and more defined by nationalism and identity politics, I think that's why it's perhaps worth going back to some of students, Stuart's earliest ideas. Right. I mean, you know, there's that Stuart Brand line, you know, we can't, we're not putting it together. It is together, right? Yes. Like the, we're all connected, uh, you know, kind of playing on an, an old uh, activism line, you know, we got to put it together. So I, I want to ask you, you know, this is a Bay Area show. Do you think it's possible that the kind of work and the kind of synthesis of ideas that Brand and his collaborators came to, would that have been possible anywhere else on this earth? You know, I think there was something uh, special about the Mid-Peninsula at that time. My sense is there, there are particular regions of the world at particular times where lots and lots of forces, different forces come together. I think of um, Vienna before World War II, perhaps Florence at the time of the Renaissance. And I actually think that Silicon Valley in the late 60s was that kind of place where there was this collision of different forces out of which emerged, in this case, a set of technologies to change the world. And I think that Stuart was inextricably part of that. So it's super hard to pick apart things like that in the causal chain, but I think he ended up at exactly the right place at the right point in time. We're talking about the ideas and influence of the Bay Area Stuart Brand with tech reporter John Markoff. He's author of Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. We do want to hear from you. Stuart's been around this area for many decades. He's obviously still uh, alive and working on a new book, from what I hear. Uh, so have you run into him or have you run into his influence in an unexpected place? You can give us a call. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or comments or encounters with Stuart Brand or his ideas to forum at kqed.org. So at different times, John, and in the different phases of Stuart's life, have seemed to have more or less prescience, more or less salience. So which of his lives seems to have the most to say about this present moment, you think? You know, I let me, I don't want to repeat myself, but I think that this notion of a planetary consciousness has never been more important, both for mm -hmm. 
um, you know, the political uh, military situation in the Ukraine and the increasingly dire climate issues. Uh, a, a planetary consciousness is something we need more than ever, it seems like. And that was one of the things that I brought away as is part of that through line that's sort of been consistent through Stuart's life. And what were the sort of threads that went into his particular view of what planetary consciousness was? Well, so uh, he, you know, at different times he's been influenced intellectually uh, by people like Buckminster Fuller. Um, if you see the first edition of the Whole Earth Catalog, it's completely in the thrall of Buckminster Fuller. Um, later, he he broke with Fuller and went back to his uh, his background as a biologist. He was trained as a biologist at Stanford, and he he basically came to uh, to follow a lot of the thinking of Gregory Bateson. Uh, Bateson then was influential upon Stuart when he created the Coevolution Quarterly, um, and he's been very adept at, at sort of. Uh, you know, assembling this patchwork, this this puzzle of different ideas and putting them into a, what is the whole cloth of Stuart Brand, whatever that is. I find it so difficult to put him in a box. You, you mm -hmm. pointed out that he's changed his idea. He considers, you know, he is considered by some to be a utopian. That makes Stuart wince. He thinks of himself as a pragmatist. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in his thinking, um, that his, his, uh, his ideas are influenced by the events and he's backed away from things. He, he started out as what he describes as being mildly anti-nuclear. Um, and then when he um, sort of saw things early, early on, well, now 20 years ago, happening in the climate, he decided we didn't have enough time to make the transition without the aid of nuclear. And that basically sort of calved him away from the, the environmental movement. Um, so I think the pragmatist label is, is, is one that's fair. We're talking with John Markoff about his new book, Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. We'll be back with more after a short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with author John Markoff about his new book, Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. So we are thinking about the ideas and influence of those who were close to Stuart Brand and Brand himself. We'd love to hear, has Stuart Brand or his different publications through time, the Whole Earth Catalog, Coevolution Quarterly, or even going all the way back, one of the festivals he used to put on or his more recent books, have any of them changed the way that you think? Is there an idea or a project that, that sticks out to you from time? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. 
KQED Forum, the emails forum at kqed.org. John, you spend a lot of time you know, learning about just about all the notions uh, that Stuart Brand has, has had through time, both ones that turned into big projects and, and ones that did not. Do you now have a sense for what kind of ideas captivate him? Well, so uh, I subtitled, at one point I, I, I wanted to title the book Floating Upstream. Uh, Stuart has been iconoclastic and he, and he has been an independent thinker uh, all the way through. And so I think he he's adept at looking at white spaces, looking where other people aren't looking. And, uh, you know, I don't completely understand that as a facility, but you've, I've seen it so many times. And when he, you know, it's been, I've seen him in, in times where he hasn't done that as well. It's been, a mis- he's made mistakes where he's actually followed the crowd and that never works. Mm-hmm. So you think it's just, yeah, that those, those pieces of a field or a time where people aren't interested, that's where, where Brand kind of rushes to those areas. Over and over again during a certain period. And then, you know, the mistakes are things like when he decided to take the money and in, in the early 1980s, he, he took a very large book advance and created something called the Whole Earth Software Catalog at just the wrong time. Um, that was a, a, a great lesson. There was another time where he took another book advance to write about kind of the, the cyber, early on the cyber world about hackers and spies and stuff. And then he realized after he'd taken the advance that that was a big mistake, he walked away from it. Um, and he decided to re- write a book about architecture, mm-hmm. um, which is still, it's the book that he's proudest of, How Buildings Learn. Um, he, he sort of explored, explored the word of, of what he called high road and low road architecture. And it was a, a really... Uh, independent and still widely respected approach to uh, to the way architects think. Yeah, God, I I actually love this book um, and have have read it. In fact, it got me to uh, move into a definitely low road building on the <laughs> border of uh, Oakland, Emeryville, and Berkeley. And we actually have a cut of the, the book was made into a BBC documentary, and so we actually have a cut of Stuart Brand kind of introducing this idea of the low road building. There's a category of buildings that might as well be invisible. They're never photographed or celebrated, even though people are perfectly happy working and living in them. Architects don't even acknowledge them as buildings. That's because architects usually had no hand in designing them. They're old warehouses, old factories, old farm buildings, mobile homes, shacks, all the leftover buildings, cheap and unrespectable. Our eyes bounce off them as if we were trained not to see them. Yet it's in buildings like these that you find the real creativity of a civilization. I call these buildings low road. I love this. uh, I love so many things about this. First of all, he's delivering this monologue from inside a shipping container, which he had converted into his workspace for working on the book. How Buildings Learn. I also love that one of the things that he says about what this book was about, and you you quote him in your book, John, is, you know, it's really about buildings through time. Like, that was the the conceptual frame, and he felt like that was one of those white spaces that architects and other kind of architectural critics were not really going after. He he stumbled across this idea 
he'd been invited by Nicholas Negroponte to come to MIT to chronicle uh, an, an effort that Negroponte had started to build something called the MIT Media Lab. And they had a brand new building designed by I.M. Pei that was a classic sort of corporate structure that was beautiful to look at, but not very functional to work in. And at the same time, he learned about what was called Building 20, now gone actually, but uh, one of these legendary, I guess you'd call it a hackerspace at mm -hmm. uh, MIT that was continually remade to fit new purposes. And he understood that that framing uh, was a, a really good way to look at architecture. And uh, you, as you point out, architecture across time and that buildings uh, actually didn't stay frozen in time. The best buildings didn't stay frozen in time. They continually were remade by the people to, to use them in different ways. Yeah. I always just loved, you know, what his line on the low road building is they're cheaper and you get more you get more freedom too. Um, like there was always this kind of sense that um, that you could make something. It didn't have to be the most expensive thing. It didn't have to be the the you know brand name thing that it could, in fact, be just your thing and that that would actually be the, the best. And. Leads me to uh, his home in Sausalito. As I understand it, you did something like 30 plus interviews with Stuart, right? 76. To 76, <laughs> my God. All right, I got right. Um, that's, uh, that's probably overkill, John. I just want to tell you that. Well, I, um, yeah, I didn't have a deadline. I didn't have a day job to go back to. And your editor wasn't like, hey, man, you're overreporting. Uh, that is amazing. Okay, 76. I take it back, 76. Um, and I assume at least a big chunk of those were out on Stewart's uh, boat? Actually, no. Um, no. The boat is where he lived and uh, where he still lives. And one of the first things he said to me um, when I visited him on the boat was that he, he liked to live small so he could live large. And the boat is a very constrained space. But Stewart has um, his, uh, his office on Gate 5 Road, very, very close to the South 40 dock where his boat is, the Myrene. And um, it's a, you know, it's an exact reflection of that low road architecture approach. As a matter of fact, he separates his his office space with his reading room and his storeroom on one side of a courtyard, and there is this funky dry dock boat, which is his computing room, that is literally melting into the ground. Um, it's a completely authentic space. Wow, wow, that's so funny. Um, so one of the other sort of concepts that Brand develops and that becomes really like closely associated with him is this idea of pace layers. Can you describe that for, for people who haven't heard it? Yeah, so uh, this came out of uh, some of the architectural ideas that he ran into. It was, it was first sort of laid out in how, how buildings learn about buildings that different parts of you know architectural structures change at different rates. And then he he took a, a leap and he applied it to civilization. And you know you go up through the stack from from nature at the very bottom up through culture into fashion, and they all change at different paces. And it's a it's a good way of looking. He uses as, as this analytical framework for for looking at the world, and I think it's a it's a reasonable way to to do that. It's definitely one of those ideas that kind of sticks with you. You find yourself thinking like, oh, right, well, that's at a different pace layer. That's why it's changing in a different in a different way. We're talking about the ideas and influence of Stuart Brand with reporter and author John Markoff. His new book's biography of Stuart. It's called Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. We'd love to hear from you. Have you run into Stuart in your life here in the Bay Area, or have you been influenced uh, by him in some way? You can give us a call, 866 733 
6786. That's 866-733-6786. Uh, you know all the things with KQED Forum. And the emails forum at kqed.org. Got some uh, great comments coming in. Dave writes, uh, I've been a longtime admirer of Stewart's intellectual agility and been an early member of the Long Now Foundation, which we'll get to. I've always looked forward to the conversations he has after Long Now seminars about long-term thinking for their collegial insight, challenge, and probing. He's a model for me as a way to keep one's brain and mind active and engaged at any age. Another funny comment. Elizabeth writes, my recipe for granola was in the first Whole Earth catalog. Um, <laughs> and I feel like, you know, it's interesting because it kind of illustrates why for a lot of people, Stuart can be such a, a challenging such an, or such an interesting figure, right? I mean, he, he is a countercultural icon on the one hand. And on the other, he sort of moved on when a lot of other people did not, right? Uh, repeatedly. I mean, the, the people ask me what my biggest surprise was, and I think that it sort of given most of his journals to Stanford uh, in 2000. Uh, I, I went, when I was working on another book, to look at his journals and didn't find what I was looking for. But when I came back in 2017, he fished around in his storeroom and found this journal that he hadn't given to Stanford. Hmm. And it was an account during 1967 of this big failure. He was trying to create this educational technology uh, fair at the uh, San Mateo County Fairgrounds. He couldn't raise money for it. But what struck me is while all of Stuart's friends were going back to the land and creating commons, uh, creating communes, Stuart turned around in the summer of 1967 and said, I'm coming to Menlo Park, California to let my technology happen here. He showed up it, at the formative stage of Silicon Valley, at just the right place, at just the right time. Um, serendipitous, but just kind of almost eerie about how he had this sense of where to arrive and when. And uh, uh, what, what came out of that was a much closer association with Doug Engelbart, who was, the, of course, one of the pioneers in modern computing. And Stuart was there during that formative year. Hey, John, can you just tell us, tell us a little bit more about why Engelbart was exactly the right guy to meet at that moment. You know, his systems that he was putting together just were sort of a preview of so much that came and decades ahead of their time. Yeah, so Engelbart, out of World War II, had been as inspired by Vannevar Bush, who had this idea of this machine that would be this knowledge engine. Didn't even know about, you know, it wasn't framed in a computing framework at, at that point, but Engelbart became passionate about that and stuck to that vision. And in the 1960s, um, he had this idea, uh, what, which he called uh, in intelligence augmentation of building tools that would allow small groups of intellectual workers to be more efficient. And um, he pioneered the computer mouse, he pioneered hypertext. He, he basically, if you think about it, created um, Microsoft Office before Microsoft Office was a gleam in anybody's eye. And as a matter of fact, if you go back and read the founding documents of the ARPANET, you know, ARPANET was created out of a, a series of papers called RFCs. And you go to RFC number one, the, RF, the, the, the ARPANET was created so people could remotely use the system that Engelbart was developing. So interesting. So there's the, there is the cyber culture connection of that time. Another commenter, Sandy, asks, was there an Esalen connection with Stuart? And of course, the answer is yes, of course there was. <laughs> um, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about the, those tendrils. 
Well, so, so yeah, Stuart, another example of showing up at the exactly right place at the right uh, time, um, Stuart uh, serendipitously was at the very first sort of pre-meeting of Esalons, uh, you know, it was created by uh, Michael Murphy uh, in, uh, I think this would have been 62 or 63. And of course it focused on LSD and Stuart just by happenstance was there. And, you know, what, what was striking about California in that period is there was there were these simultaneously different but related efforts to expand the human mind. Some people were doing it with drugs, some people were doing it with religion, some people were doing it with things, personal growth thing, growth things like est and, and other multimedia were, presentations. Yeah. Well, multimedia, computing, all of that was happening uh, at the same time, and Stuart was right in the midst of it. So interesting. You can see why. Stuart Brand ended up uh, the subject of a book by Fred Turner down at Stanford, From Counterculture to Cyberculture, Stuart Brand, The Whole Earth Network, and the Rise of Digital Utopianism. It's just this this really particular moment here in the Bay that basically, I mean, you could, you could argue some areas around Boston may have had some of this magic, but this is really just here. I mean, this is just a, a Bay Area thing. Um, I wanted to bring in uh, David from Berkeley. David, welcome to the show. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, I was um, a host on um, the Well, the Whole Earth Electronic Link, and we haven't really talked much about that this morning. Uh, I was going to encourage you to um, elaborate a bit about that because that was the first virtual community. And uh, I was uh, the host of the Jewish conference, uh, which uh, ended up, because it was so early, uh, initiating a whole bunch of new things and uh, that uh, that are now continuing in other fora. Uh, and the other thing, too, is perhaps also talk about uh, the relationship of the Grateful Dead, uh, a fan base, to the spread, of, to the building up of the uh, well. Yeah. That's so so interesting, David. Um, stay stay with us because I want to um, maybe bounce some things back to you. Um, tell us how the Whole Earth Electronic Link got established, John Markoff, and why it was important in sort of early internet communities. Yeah, I have a slightly different perspective on the well. Um, Stuart did create the well in a partnership with a man by the name of Larry Brilliant, uh, who was a doctor. Who uh, actually, and Steve Jobs was in the midst in the midst of that in the midst of that in a very interesting way. Uh, brilliant indirectly got some funding from Jobs to help him uh, start his own uh, sort of online system, and then he licensed that technology to Stuart in a partnership that allowed him to create the Well in 1985. But I do want to say that the notion that the Well was the first virtual community is probably not accurate. It was an important one. Um, indeed, Stuart was a brilliant marketer. And one of the things he did in creating the well in 1985 is he gave people like me and Stephen Levy and a dozen or more other technology writers free accounts. And so we all hung out there and it got out of scale reputation because we wrote about <laughs> it. But if, if I was going to track, I, I do think that Fred was was accurate. There was a digital culture emerging in America at that time, but it was more diffuse than I think than the well. And the well was part of something that was already well underway at that point. I mean, there was Prodigy, there was uh, the source, there was CompuServe, and most importantly, there was Usenet. So all the Unix computers um, systems around the country shared information and had that kind of virtual online community beginning in the early 80s. Stuart, in fact, 
was a, a member of a predecessor online community called Eyes, where he he sort of learned about this culture that would that he would recreate in the well. Um, there was something called FidoNet. Um, all of, of these multi-user BBS systems talk mm -hmm. to each other. So th this was there was a digital culture moving uh, emerging in America, but it was much more diffuse at that time. I think, David, I want, one thing I want to ask you is what it felt like to be a user of the well at that time. Well, I started as a user and then I became a host. Um, it, it, it basically was a, a feeling of every day there are some, uh, uh, several conversations that you're engaging in uh, and that occupy your mind. Mm -hmm. And eventually you find your way back to the computer at that low 300 baud that uh, <laughs> was there back in 85. And, um, you know, you would uh, type out and upload uh, the, those thoughts, and immediately you'd be seeing uh, replies from other folks uh, around um, uh, the world. Uh, my very first email account was through the well. Um, and, uh, and people were in communication both offline and uh, on there. Mm -hmm. And what was fun was that you could see uh, your idea becoming developed by somebody else, uh, and then uh, it just was, it, it would build on itself. Um, and eventually we'd have to take a, a one discussion and split it and turn it into two different discussions because we were always on tangents. And the well was beautifully uh, put together so that you could pursue tangents and then tangents on tangents. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it got to be a little bit all, um, uh, I, I, if you really wanted to do the well right, it, I just felt like I had to be on your five. No, I, I so appreciate your, your call, David. And I, as a, as a kid growing up in rural Washington state with, uh, early internet, all I wanted to do was be on the well. I could, I, I had heard about it and that, that felt to me like the coolest place, uh, on earth when I was a, a young kid. It's the kind of kid I was, what can I say? Uh, we're talking about the ideas and influence of the Bay Area's Stuart Brand with John Markoff, author of a new biography, Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. Stay with us. We'll have more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with John Markoff about his new book, Biography of Stuart Brand, Whole Earth, The Many Lives of Stuart Brand. We're taking your calls, too, about if Stuart Brand has changed the way you think or what idea or project sticks out to you. Also thinking about, you know, 
Did you run into Stuart Brand in some unexpected or expected place? And what was that like? Our number is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, KQED Forum, and the emails forum at kqed.org. Uh, some great comments coming in. Michael writes, In my research on the history of the Druid Heights artist colony, now lying neglected in the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, I learned that Stuart Brand paid one or more visits there beginning in 1963 when Gerd Stern was using the shop at Druid Heights to build a large multimedia sculpture. What do you feel the significance of interactions with artists like Stern were on Stuart's trajectory? John Markov? Oh, my. Gerd is a wonderful character from San Francisco during the 50s, a pioneering beat who Stuart was close to. And I believe that sculpture uh, sculpture was shown off in a multimedia event that was, uh, you know, quintessentially San Francisco. That Stewart actually, I think he ran one of the projectors and took took photographs from um, uh, for Garrett. And um, it, it was oh gosh, I'm rem- I'm forgetting the name of the event now, but it was one of those success disasters. Uh, I think Frankenstein reviewed it in the Chronicle and said it was so bad that it was good. <laughs> uh, but but it was you know Garrett was a pioneer in this multimedia format when multimedia was several projectors in a single screen and Stuart took that idea away and took his photography in that direction and created his own multimedia show he did several but the the first one and the important one was uh, was a show that he showed around the Bay Area for several years called America Needs Indians, um, which took away some ideas that he had stumbled across when, as a young photographer, he visited the Warm Springs Indian Reservation in Oregon and realized that the Indians had a connection with the land that he hadn't seen in his own middle-class white culture and tried to sort of capture that in uh, this production that he did with several projectors, um, audio tape, and and a single screen. Yeah. You also noted that you decided to use the, the pilots of Indians rather than Native Americans, kind of uh, reflecting both that there's an ongoing debate, but that that was sort of the the usage at the the time as as well. Uh, Nancy writes, when I was a reference librarian in a public library in the 1970s, we relied heavily on the Whole Earth Catalog, especially, but not only for our back-to-land type users, a great compilation of a wide range of resources. I love it. That's a person actually using the Whole Earth Catalog in the way that it was designed. Diego writes, Stuart Brand has been a big influence on the professions of product design and architecture. His book, How Buildings Learn, opened our eyes to the power of time and co-creation in the design process. Uh, And then here's an interesting one to uh, ask you about, John. Mark writes, I believe there is a strong connection with the Bay Area Zen Buddhist community, which ties to Steve Jobs and the environmental community, including past state architect Sim Vanderen and the integral urban house in Berkeley and Shea Panisse and Warren Weber at Star Root Farm. And indeed, there is a big connection to the Zen Buddhist community. Absolutely. Uh, Stuart was around the San Francisco Zen Center in the early 70s, and he tried hard to establish his own Zen practice. Um, I think he found sitting uh, um, up to be boring and ultimately sort of went in a different direction. But he was um, he was closely involved with the community there. That's, I think, where he first came in contact with Jerry Brown, who was also involved with the Zen Center in that period and ultimately went into to Brown's administration. Um, and uh, Stuart stayed involved with the Zen community, even though he wasn't practicing uh, for many years uh, and, and took a lot of those ideas uh, and that approach away, away with him, um, uh, sort of many points of contact. Yeah. 
Let's bring in Gary, who may not like Stuart Brand that much. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the show. Hi, Gary. Yeah, no, I was a big fan of Mr. Brandt, and I had a very, I had a hardbound copy of the Kohler uh, oh, wow. catalog that I bought off the defunct library, yeah, and I've been to the store. But unfortunately, um, this utopia has morphed into a dystopia. It's sort of like the scene in um, Fantasia where Mickey Mouse is uh, so happy <laughs> as a sorcerer's apprentice that he has this magical automated, automated uh, mop, and it just takes over and causes mayhem. Uh, you know, uh, yes, it's he. The internet has morphed out of the whole Earth catalog. But what is that begot us? It's gotten us the greatest disparity of wealth we've ever seen. Um, suppression of freedom of speech, uh, concentration of flow of information, and controlled by corporations. Instead of freeing us from advertising and giving us independence of thought, we're all surveyed now, and we have. We're pumped with more advertising than we've ever been in our entire life. They spy on us. You've yeah. driven out all that. It's, it's, the high-tech industry has driven out minorities out of this city. There used to be flourishing African-American population here, significant. And 80% of them have driven out to cheaper places, including Fresno. Um, it's uh, created a society where we, as a kid, I'm 65, we used to make fun of the Rockefellers. And now we worship billionaires, especially high-tech billionaires. I mean, it's not been good. Yeah, I I appreciate that that perspective. And it's actually a there's an interesting question about Stuart Brand that that I think comes out of this. You know, in in the book, John Markoff, you said you you said Ken Kesey, uh, who was friends with with Brand, uh, particularly in the early days, was quoted as saying Stuart recognizes power and cleaves to it. And I think most people have read that as an insult. And I think it was intended to be. But I've long been kind of fascinated by that willingness to sort of maybe not acquire a ton of power on his own, but sort of be close to powerful people and institutions. So politically, sort of how would you describe Brand's thinking about power and his relationship to it? So uh, so I think uh, Stuart saw that quote um, in, in a Washington Post article, I think it was in the 1980s, and I think he winced, I think it hurt, I think he saw some truth in that. Um, I, I think that over a long period of time, uh, you know, I think one of the mistakes he almost, um, uh, he almost made uh, uh, was uh, thinking about, uh, before he wrote Whole Earth Discipline, he was thinking about writing a book about how to be rich well and I think if he had gone ahead and done that, it might have really I have to say that one made me wince. <laughs> <laughs> damaged his re- his. Um, uh, but I think that that notion. Well, first of all, I, I just wanted to respond to the idea that uh, the whole Earth catalog led to the internet, which I think is kind of a, a a common idea these days. And I think it's also wrong. I think it's it's actually 180 degrees wrong. I mean, what I what I in stumbling across that early journal, what I realized is that the whole earth catalog was actually a product of the same forces that would ultimately lead to the internet. So I think they have the sort of causal chain wrong. Um, Stuart tends to, uh, tends to be optimistic. Uh, he, you know, over a, a long period of time, he's tended to see the glass more than half full rather than empty. That's just his, his choice in, in things. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's come back to bite him, but I think it also served him well over a long period of time. Yeah. But to stay on this power question, 
right? I mean, Brand has been close to wealthy people like all all his life. You know, one of the big critiques in in a lot of of Brand in a lot of the reviews of your book center around you know was he trying to make the world better for the a, a lot of people or just for himself? No, I think it's it, it's very clear that brand had uh you know the world in in mind in terms of the things that he's done over a long period of time i mean i think the heart of his actions have been around that idea of the conservation pledge and he's been consistent in that and i don't think that's necessarily a stance that allies him just with the wealthy and powerful um there is this attraction though that uh, you know you can see um you know who who he chooses his friends o- over a long period of time i think that's a, a, f- a fair criticism but uh, i don't think that he's acted for the b- benefit of the wealthy i think that's probably an unfair critique let's bring in nicole from los altos welcome nicole Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I started working with um, Stuart in the in the late 90s when I um, was at Global Business Network. And, and John, I don't know how much GBN features in your book. Um, a lot. But it was yeah. a real... A lot. Okay, good. Well, it was a remarkable, remarkable period of time. Um, he, he started GBN with um, Peter Schwartz, who's a really renowned futurist now at Salesforce. Peter wrote The Art of the Long View with uh, four other guys and and you know a, a life and a day in my life work at work would be like writing a, a, a session on the future of the environment or climate change and there would be at the table there would be world at shell and amnesty international and all of a sudden newt gingrich walks in the room with jerry brown so it was a really crazy environment and i think Stuart was uh was amazing at getting lots of different perspectives in the room to to like ask really hard questions. So yes, GBN was an example of his interest in power and bringing, you know, GBN stands for Global Business Network. So there was this really interesting instinct that that's that's where the news was or that's where where things might be shifting. Um, So he had that real interesting sense. But my experience was that he was the first to ask the hard question Um, and, and almost an ambivalence you know, when he was in the room with some of these powerful people. So that was my experience. But the two things I wanted to say that Sir was brilliant at was I was I was attracted to GBN because of the book club. And I know a lot of people um, have shelves full of his beautifully curated book club. And I joined GBN from Singapore. Um, um, the Asia financial crisis, you know, parachuted me into the Bay Area. And and this this was a remarkable book club. It had everything from you know Gregory Bateson to you know cognitive scientists to um, just everything. And that diversity of thought was a huge magnet for people. And you would tell anybody who's been part of GBN, they'll talk about the book club. And then the second thing he was brilliant at was curating remarkable people. And he was cr- criticized for sort of the, his elitist you know ism around it. But but he did have this amazing knack for, you know, all of a sudden Brian Eno would show up and talk about something remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think the long now came out of GBN. Anyway, I'll stop talking. It was just a, an, for someone who was in her, her mid-20s, it was completely transformative to be in that environment in the Bay Area. Oh, and thank you. Speaking of the Internet, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I so appreciate that. Um, 
sense of excitement and and possibility that could be that could be brought to bear on some of these things. And I would say, John, um, GBN is now one of the phases of Stewart's life, the Global Business Network, that's maybe looked at most askance, at least in sort of the you know yeah. the reviewing world. Yeah, yeah. The, the GBN rose and fell with the dot com era, and I think actually what was interesting to me, I mean. Uh, the the caller's comments are are, are very well taken. Um, but Stuart was one of the founders, and yet Peter Schwartz wanted Stuart to be a full time sort of partner in the GBN efforts. Stuart badly didn't want to be commuting from Sausalito to Berkeley, and so he found this sort of niche. Uh, you know, he was he had one foot in and one foot out of the the GBN uh, organization, and he did their book club. Uh, one of the things that really uh, impressed me about Stuart is how well read he is. Um, he uh, Early on, he took me uh, to show me this amazing library he has. And what stunned me is he was, you know, he took me on a two hour or three hour tour through his library and he'd read everything and could re- recite chapter and verse on thousands. Well, in my case, dozens of books that he, he, he showed me. Uh, and he built this uh, part of the GBN uh, organization. Yeah. I uh, have some other uh, comments coming in. Uh, uh, Brita writes, in 1968-1970, I lived in a banana peel dome inspired by Bucky Fuller and touted by Stuart Brand. It was located on a mountain across Route 1 from Esalen Institute. Dick Price, one of the Esalen founders, ran by occasionally. A great design, but hard to hold together, and the slanted walls eliminated most furniture. I love the Whole Earth catalog because it gave us a description of kerosene lamps and stoves and other things we needed. Gosh, I love that. Um, uh, we should talk about this, maybe not final phase, but one of the later phases of, of Stuart Brand's life. Robert writes, with respect to John Markoff, supporting nuclear power is not pragmatic. The risks remain too great. The waste problem has not been solved. And when you combine nature's ultimate say with human imperfection, disaster will always loom. Recall, for example, the Japanese nuclear industry was regarded as the safest in the world before Fukushima and before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. No one had considered war as a potential cause of nuclear catastrophe. I actually might take some issue with that. Human hubris is a dangerous combination with nuclear power. And it's worth saying that the reason that nuclear power comes up a lot around Stuart Brand is that he, after having been a soft opponent, as you noticed, turned around and ended up becoming a, a quite forceful proponent for nuclear power. That's right. And, you know, this is still an active debate uh, inside uh, the, the, the environmental community, and Stuart is uh, still pro-nuclear. Um, you know, I think that the interesting shift in uh, the nuclear debate now from inside the climate world is out of COP26 is that nuclear won't work because we don't have enough time to build the nuclear reactors that mm-hmm. they want to build, that we need even more, um, you know, urgent solutions. Yeah. That's always been it's always been my criticism. Expensive, and you know some of these plants have taken a decade or more to build. It's like how much time have we got? Um, let's get uh, a couple more comments. Art writes: Stuart Brand, the Whole Earth Catalog, the Co-Evolution Quarterly, and the Back to the Land movement were very inspiring to me as a young man in California in the late '60s and early '70s. I thought that a new American culture and society might evolve out of that to compete with mainstream America, but it did not happen. 
Some of the ideas and practices of that new American culture were co-opted into mainstream society. And the question is, what elements of Stuart Brand and the new American culture he spawned do we now find integrated into mainstream American society? And what elements of it have yet to be adopted? I want to pair that with Robert, who asks, can your guest follow up on the previous caller's point about the Grateful Dead community and the well? Can you please discuss the connection or influence of the Whole Earth Catalog? So maybe out of those, John Markoff, you can give us a sense of what do you think the ultimate influence of Stuart Brand's many projects, in particular the Whole Earth Catalog, has been on our society? So, uh, well, the, the Grateful Dead connection goes all the way back to the Trips Festival, which was made successful by the fact that the Grateful Dead played on Saturday in January of 1966. And as Stuart said, the, the Saturday night at the Trips Festival was the beginning of the Grateful Dead and the end of everything else. So the, the culture took off. Um, Hate uh, Ashbury happened the next summer. Stuart went in the other direction down to uh, to uh, the mid-peninsula, Silicon Valley. Um, you know, I think in, if you step all the way back and try to assess Stuart's impact, um, what he gives us is a, a different way of looking at the world. The way he frames the world, I think, is independent and iconoclastic, and it's valuable as a perspective. Yeah. You know, David writes, uh, final comment here. A few decades ago, I heard Stuart Brand on a panel discussion at Fort Mason. What I've always remembered and employed was his advice that two basic tools would enable one to make one's way through life, vice grips and duct tape. <laughs> I'd like to add one, WD-40. Um, to me, that's almost one of like the, the perfect Stuart Brand lines, right? You expect, what's, what, what's how do you get through life? Vice grip. <laughs> very pragmatic and, yes very <laughs> pragmatic very pragmatic um thank you uh so much for this uh book john mark absolutely i mean 76 interviews with Stuart brand extensive uh, uh interviews with so many other people as well as you know really amazing reading through so many of the letters and journals of Stuart Brand, who kind of knew that his life might be documented um the new book by john markoff is whole earth the Many Lives of Stuart Brand. Thanks again so much for coming on the show, John. Thanks for having me, Alexis. Yeah. Thanks to all of you who shared your recollections of Stuart Brand and his influence on you. Sorry we couldn't get to all of the callers. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Rachel Myro. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.